Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Stunt Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Fertig. I am one of the recurring cast of characters who bring you this show on a weekly basis. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Stunt Show on the Nahum Siegel Network is heard Thursdays at 1 p.m. Today is Thursday, the 15th of January, 2015. And I'm glad to have you with us today. Uh, as I am uh, every time we speak. Uh, our subject today is uh, not really so much a stunt as something that is really a hot-button issue and that has only become a hotter-button issue in light of re- recent events. Uh, our subject, frankly, Jews and guns. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we have two guests uh, who are knowledgeable and, uh, and personally involved in the subject, uh, members of the Orthodox community both, and uh, have, I believe, a lot to offer on the subject. Um, so let me introduce them to you. Uh, our first guest is Jacob Newman. He is, uh, he is a professor of chemistry and physics and a resident of Liberty, New York, upstate in the mountains, as they say. And uh, he is, uh, while not, not a rabbi, he is a smicha student and functioning in lieu of a rabbi at, a, at an Orthodox shul uh, in Liberty. Uh, Jacob, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for, for joining us. Our second guest, uh, we'll refer to him by his first name only, Daniel, and we won't mention which shul he's in. He is a uh, more more of a private citizen, and uh, he is uh, he is uh, for the purposes of the conversation, we will refer to him as Daniel. I know his full name; I verified his identity, but uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, just refer to him as Daniel. Daniel, how are you? Thank you. Good. Thank you uh, very much for uh, thank you both for ver- for your time today. Uh, both of our guests, I should explain, um, are uh, possessors of a very um, difficult in some states to obtain. New York being one of them, relatively. Uh, another state, something that's very easy to obtain, and that is a concealed carry permit, which means they have the legal authority granted by the state of their residence uh, to carry a concealed firearm, a handgun. Uh, fair, fair uh, description, gentlemen. Yes, that would be. Uh... Okay. Um, so the reason, of course, that this is a hot button issue is because the Second Amendment has been a hot button issue for dozens and dozens and dozens of years in the United States, uh, probably since uh, the. Th- 20s or 30s, uh, when the first limitations were put into place concerning uh, automatic weapons, which is to say uh, what most people would refer to as machine guns. Um, ever since then, there have been uh, there have been various limitations on uh, the rights granted under the Second Amendment. Although, uh, to be fair, uh, back in the Wild West, that uh, you know that people uh, like to think of as uh, as a time of uh, completely lawless behavior, uh, many towns, in fact, had. Uh, had firearms restrictions, you know, no gun, you know, past city limits and that sort of thing. Um, so there have been always uh, been some restrictions in the United States, uh, even under the very broad, uh, perhaps not duplicated almost nowhere else in the world, rights to self-defense and the possession of firearms. Uh, so uh, this has, of course, become a very, very, uh, very hot-button issue in recent years, and it was renewed again two years ago or so after the horrible tragedy in Sandy Hook uh, at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Um, in the Northeast and in Connecticut, I should say. And um, and at that point, uh, the president of the United States, Barack Obama, tried to uh, institute legislation, uh, tried to introduce legislation that would have renewed 
a, an, a ban on what are referred to colloquially as assault weapons, which is to say semi-automatic rifles uh, of various varieties. And uh, that effort failed. But what did happen at that time, and uh, with this I'll bring in our guests and begin our conversation, uh, what did happen at that time is that there was a, a run on gun stores and firearms of all sorts and all varieties um, suddenly became in uh, short supply as people who were concerned that uh, their ability to purchase firearms and ammunition, ammunition was in very short supply too, uh, would uh, shortly be curtailed. Is that uh, fair to say? Does that gel with your recollections? Yes, very much Absolutely. so. Um, so uh, that was that was about two years ago and change, I suppose. And uh, and uh, of course, the the subject of firearms uh, possession is is multifaceted. It's got to do with well, it's my right. It's also uh, my you know, it's my right to own it for whatever purpose I want. That's legal and lawful, and you know, doesn't harm other people as well as the subject of self-defense. And some people are concerned that if, uh, God forbid, the uh, the United States government ever turned or was somehow uh, impacted and started affecting the rights of people, the Second Amendment, uh, people say, is uh, about, uh, about preventing tyranny, um, as well as um, uh, becoming even more, more potent of an issue recently, uh, with uh, the uptick in anti-Semitism around the globe, and then certainly uh, in the last uh, last week and change, uh, with what happened in France, which was quite a wake-up call to a lot of people in terms of uh, Islamic uh, Islamic Islamist terrorism. Uh, so I'd like to start um, with uh, with Jacob, uh, who uh, functions as the rabbi of a shul, and actually wrote um, a personal. Halachic opinion, not a psak, uh, but a personal halachic uh, academic examination of the subject of carrying a gun on Shabbos. Uh, could you give us a thumbnail, Jacob, of what that's all about? Yeah, the, there's um, a couple of issues with carrying a gun on Shabbos. First one is uh, status of mukta mm-hmm. for, the, for the gun. Um, as we know, that any object that has a permitted or forbidden use, purpose, that would be an usher on Shabbos, can be fallen into one of various categories of muksa. So uh, we need to determine, the first question you ask is, can you use this or carry this object on Shabbos, is does it fall into one of the categories of muksa, which would make it uh, forbidden for handling or carrying on Shabbos. Right. Um, so there's a couple of things with a firearm that could possibly be um, usher on Shabbos. Mm-hmm. Um, the firearm, when you pull the trigger, it strikes the primer in the cartridge, which ignites a flame, which ignites the gunpowder. Right. And then that sends a bullet flying out of the barrel. Um, igniting a flame, of course, is uh, Av Malach of Mavir, it's, uh, which would be forbidden on Shabbos. And so one could argue from that point of view that the primary purpose of the gun is to light the primer to send to fire the bullet, and therefore its purpose is uh, uh, forbidden as a malach of mavir. So could I could I jump ahead and suggest that wouldn't wouldn't uh, somebody's response to that be that the purpose actually of firing a gun on Shabbos would be pikuach nefesh? Right, right. Now that's I was, you know that's obviously the case. If in case of pikuach nefesh, when there's a real sakana to the risk to somebody's life. That of course we know overrides uh, Shabbos. That the pikuach nefesh overrides all but the three 
you know, Gilu Arayah Shvicha Stamim and Avodazara, you know, idol worship of blood, random bloodshed and and uh, um, uh, various immorality, yeah, immorality acts. Um, so that comes to the question is that, of course, in the situation of Pikuach Nefesh, we are allowed to put aside uh, Shabbos limitations. So as what the assumption is that, that I made is that we have a myth of not to stand by dumb Naki, uh, innocent blood being shed. Uh, we have also the issue of Rodef. If somebody is being chased after with, by somebody who is intent to kill, we are not only permitted, we're obligated to attempt to stop the, the Rodef from hurting anybody, right. up to and including a permit to kill the, the Rodef if necessary. And so uh, if we are faced with a situation where we have to, to, to save somebody's life, then the, the, the Isurim of, uh, of Mavir and everything else with Shabbos would, would go out the window. Right. Okay. So, so just to... Uh, just to stress, to underline, because you did when you wrote this uh, this this essay, uh, you're not a posek, you're not a halach, you don't consider yourself a halachic authority. You are in fact studying for smicha. Obviously, you know how to learn and so forth. Um, but uh, but you wrote this essay uh, in response. You told me to an inquiry, right? Correct. Somebody in my shul asked me if, about it. Right now, if somebody would like to read this for themselves, it is actually on the. Uh, it was actually posted on the OU Torah. Uh, website some months ago. Uh, you can go to outorah.org and search for, uh, I believe, carrying a gun on Shabbos. Do, do that search in the search uh, box on Torah, and it should pop up as the first item. Uh, I tested that yesterday. Um, so, Jacob, I'll uh, hold on just one moment. Let's bring in Daniel. Uh, Daniel, you uh, you live in Pennsylvania. We'll say that much in the, in 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 a metropolitan area in Pennsylvania. The the firearms laws in Pennsylvania are significantly less restrictive than they are in New York and New Jersey. Um, do you carry Do you carry a gun? Do you use your concealed carry permit all the time? Yes, one hundred percent of the time. Um, Shabbos, no Shabbos. I'm carrying all the time. The only time I remember not carrying is because the Arab was down in my community. So uh, you did you have a, a halachic psak that said that you, that the Arab was uh, was the deal breaker? You know what? I did not uh, go ahead and ask about that, and that's the reason um, I was. You know, I, I decided. You know what? I'm not going to carry this time, and uh, I kind of felt naked, but I didn't. Right. Uh, I'm, uh, right after that, I I went ahead and I asked, and I'm waiting on a response um, back. So this was a recent event. Uh, somewhat. It was just uh, a bit less than a month back. Um, I asked somebody to ask the police for me. Right. right. Um, now you are you don't you don't work uh, profession. Well, actually, you told me that you that you uh, work in a profession. You have you have a, a day job, as it were, um, as a professional. Um, but you are also uh, somebody who works as a as a firearms instructor. Who uh, who are the people you tend to teach? Yeah, I do it on the side. Um, it's kind of, uh, I guess, closer to a hobby or something. I don't do it full-time. Um, I absolutely, I uh, mostly train Arthur's Jews uh, in Lakewood, Philadelphia area, mostly. Now, are you finding that this is something that is a, a popular uh, skill that is that is being sought after? I mean, some people would, would suggest that there are not likely to be a lot of Orthodox Jews interested in firearms. It just somehow doesn't seem like a firm thing, does it? Well, there are 
some people who are saying, hey, it's an eighth of meters and stuff like that, but mostly, and it's a vast majority, people are very much pro-gun um, and uh, uh, Orthodox Jews uh, that I deal with tend to have an understanding that this is basically a necessity, it's a tool. And uh, with that, they are 100% pro-gun. So it's, not, uh, it's, a, it's a very little number of people that are saying, hey, this is not a Jewish thing, maybe we shouldn't do it, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, what's your experience with that? I, I find actually it's kind of similar. Um, I know that in my own shul, um, aside from me, two other of our members are very, very small shuls. So to mm-hmm. two out of our of our basic minion, aside from me, also have concealed carry permits from New York, which is, um, I mean, as you mentioned, the process of getting one is a challenge. So there may be and. Uh, other people who are either elderly or you know are not interested in going through the process, but everyone uh, it's not a secret for me that that I have the permit and I use it right. and and all the but I would guess that all but one of our our members are are comfortable with that notion and um I know also many of my friends who who live closer into New York City, the New York metro area, mm-hmm. are the the are also have very uh, positive attitude toward it. Are um, you know, understanding, like you said, people have the sense that that the world is is becoming much less friendly for for the Jewish people recently, and people are be, are worried that uh, that they need uh, that that um, you know. That there are going to be problems, right? You, you mentioned there's an individual in your shul who is who it sounds like is not necessarily comfortable with the idea of there being firearms present in the shul. Um, let's turn to that subject for a moment because this is uh, I, I know uh, in my in my day job at the uh, at the Orthodox Union uh, where I function as the chief communications officer. I know we had a uh, at least one or two media inquiries recently from reporters wondering about. Uh, you know what policies uh, the you know OU shuls might have, and we don't we don't set anything like that. I mean, we we do know that there are shuls that have uh, that do have uh, policies, and we as a policy just encourage uh, shuls to work with local law enforcement on this. Um, but could you tell me a little bit about what objections might have been raised in your shul and how and how you've answered them? And then Daniel, I'd like to hear about uh, your experiences in your shul. You said there are a number of people uh, who carry in your shul. So Jacob, first, please. Um, the, the person who who, um, who who was uncomfortable with it is actually um, uh, an older person, mm-hmm. and they're from the you know you know that 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 the, and his main thing was that less that was um, more that is a fear you know the the fear of that uh, of the gun right. you know as we hear in the media all the time and people talk about it. That uh, you know, they're afraid that it's going to go off or something. Right. And so, I mean, he, you know, that's his, because his, his argument was more as if he was uncomfortable with the whole idea of of having armed people around. Right. And and you know, the you know the fact that there's, there's um, you know that the the lot of uh, background check. Uh, process in, in in getting a license in New York uh, made him more comfortable. Is like not afraid that of that I or any of the other carriers of the shul are going to go crazy or something, uh, but more is just like the the, the built-in cultural 
history mm-hmm. that a lot of people around the New York area have, and a lot of people across the country have, that you know that that you know just guns are bad without being able to more specify it better. Right. Right. Daniel, what's what's been your experience? You have several people, I think you said, in your shul? Yeah, we have a lot of people uh, who have carry permits. And again, um, the area where I'm at, I am in uh, Philadelphia um, region. Mm-hmm. And it's not as easy uh, to get a permit to carry as it is in the rest of the Pennsylvania. Right. Um, Philadelphia is, uh, they basically make you jump through the, the hoops a little bit. They do. Um, they can do. They do as much as they can under the state law to to make sure that you don't get one. So uh, people that are dedicated and they want to do it, uh, they they do have to you know spend some time, take days off work, um, and et cetera, et cetera, to do something um, that they think is uh, is a good idea. So I have a few guys that are actively carrying um, you know 100% of the time, more or less, uh, you know whenever they're not sleeping. Right. Um, I have maybe six, seven, maybe closer to ten guys that have carry permits. In your show? Uh, carry, uh, in my show, yeah. Really? Yeah, they carry they carry sparingly. They don't really uh, carry all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I actually, in the morning, um, you know, I went ahead and I, I spoke with a couple of guys uh Asking who they know, the, the guys that are that are close to me, I spoke with them. Asking if who, they, who do they know that have uh, carry permits. Right. And uh, I was told quite a bunch of uh, guys that do have them, but uh, feel like they don't have enough training, or uh, maybe are not dedicated enough to actually carry a gun full time. So you you raise an interesting subject that I, we were going to turn to, but you've provided a, a good uh, segue to that, Daniel. Um, a, a common objection that you hear from people who uh, who are not comfortable with firearms, uh, I've read and I've heard, uh, is the is the idea that if, uh, let's say, God forbid, an intruder, an armed intruder, came into a confined space like a shul or, or a church or, you know, or wherever, a workplace, uh, and, uh, and actually posed a serious immediate threat, uh, there are people who are concerned that legal firearms owners, concealed carry permit holders, uh, would just start firing indiscriminately and that there would be a, God forbid, a greater massacre, uh, you know, of people caught in the crossfire. Um, talk to me about that and tell me, and then I'll ask Jacob you as well, is there a plan in your shul or is this sort of an ad hoc thing? So at this time we're actually meeting and working on uh, something of the sort. I do realize that there is a need for it and it always starts with the safety. I want to make sure that whoever is carrying, whoever decides to carry in our shul, goes through at least some kind of basic training to understand uh, what it is that they're doing in case something, God forbid, happens. Right. Um, there is also uh, also all sorts of scenarios that are available, and uh, you know how how things will turn out in case there is uh, you know an armed intruder or etc. in our shul. Um, now, in that's like uh, in most of most of the cases, you will uh, want somebody there with the gun, and that's simply uh, to turn it from a massacre into a gunfight. Uh, most of the time that uh, people are uh, being massacred, the casualties are much greater mm-hmm. than if there was somebody shooting back. A lot of times, shooters take their own life. Um, you know, active shooter takes their own life because they're being fired upon and they know they do not stand a chance. 
Um, oftentimes, um, police shows up in the middle of the gunfight. It does happen, and um, massacre is just that. You basically have somebody lining up people and shooting them. And nobody, there are numbers right. of victims are going to be much higher. And nobody's able to defend themselves. Nobody's um, able to defend themselves, absolutely. Right. You're listening to The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. It is uh, Thursday, the 15th of January, 2015. My name is Mayor Fertig, and uh, I thank you for joining us. Uh, the Stunt Show uh, heard, as I said, uh, Thursdays at 1 on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, you can listen on the uh, online at uh, NachumSiegel.com or on the NSN app. Uh, which is available in the uh, iTunes uh, App Store, the Apple App Store, or uh, or the Android uh, App Store. Uh, you can listen on the Listen Line as well. All that information is on NahumSiegel.com. Uh, our guests are Daniel, who uh, we've uh, decided not to use his last name to preserve his uh, privacy as well as uh, the security of his shul, which he has identified as being in the Philadelphia area. Our other guest is Jacob Newman. He's a professor of uh, chemistry and physics, and uh, as well as uh, acting as the rabbi. He is not a uh, not a musmach, but uh, is a smicha student and acting as the rabbi at an Orthodox shul in the Liberty, New York area, upstate New York. And uh, those are our guests, and I appreciate their being here. Daniel, you were uh, talking about uh, you were talking about uh, putting in place some standards. Uh, of training. Now, what are the basics that you think somebody who uh, has a concealed carry permit, never mind uh, carrying in shul, what are some basic uh, commitments that people have to make t- towards training? Well, number one thing is they have to have their base layer down, which I define somewhere around an array basic pistol course. I'm, I'm sorry, is, could you could you say that again? It was a little bit unclear. An array basic pistol course. Have you ever heard of that? Um, What is that? Okay, so basically what it does, it gives you all the basic, um, the the very, very fundamentals of shooting um, a gun and be able to hit the target, Mm -hmm. as well as the things that can go wrong with the gun. And the main thing it gives you is the firearm safety rules. It drills it into you very, very, very hard, like finger of the trigger, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all the basic, all the basic rules. Always treat every gun as if it's loaded? Correct. You know the, you know the basic three. So the, well, the, let's, the, assume, the, let's assume our listeners don't. So if you don't mind, just, you know, thumbnail real quick. What, what are the basic rules if you were ever to go to a, to a shooting range as a first-time shooter? Uh, what are the things you must know? Okay, sure. Uh, treat all the guns as if they're loaded. Uh, finger of the trigger um, until you're ready to fire. Keep the gun pointed in the same direction at all times. And keep, keep the guy, do it basically the same as the first one. It keeps the, keep the, all the guns unloaded unless you're using it. Right. Okay, so we're talking about the, the, the baseline things that a concealed carry permit holder needs to know. Um, so you said that's that's the beginning of it, that basic safety stuff, certainly. Uh, beyond that, and uh, if somebody were to carry in your shul, what would you want them to know? What training would you want them to have had? Okay, so what usually happens is um, I'm trying to get everybody that carries in my shul to go out and, and practice a little more often, and that doesn't mean static uh, wrench practice. I'm talking about uh, moving and shooting. I'm talking about um, concealment and cover and all that type of stuff. Um, the idea is that they would become more familiar with the gun and what it does. Um, in, that would preserve the safety. And uh, if somebody would to engage, 
they would know what they're doing and they're doing it, they're doing it properly and they're not creating casualties there. Right. God forbid. Right. Exactly. Uh, Jacob, in your shul, uh, is there a plan? Have you considered uh, putting one? If not, have you considered putting one in place? No, we don't actually have a, a, a formal plan. Um, but they, you know, and that should something we really should be doing um, in terms of just a, just a general emergency plan. Period for any kind of emergency. Right. Um, so. No, we really need to do to to be dealing with that. Uh, so you you mentioned that you have a few people in the shul and uh, who who do carry. Um, I guess uh, I guess something that uh, that that is universal to every shul right now. And so let's turn to this for a moment because I'm curious uh, just about what your experiences are. Is the need for some, just some basic security, uh, some basic awareness? Uh, do you have anything, Jacob, in your shul? Do you, do you have uh, a, a, any sort of a guard? I know it's a small shul and this costs money. Do you have uh, members of the shul keeping an eye out, anything like that? Uh, we have, um, you know, it's always people going by and making sure that uh, keeping an eye on the building whenever we're not davening. During davening, um, you know, not one of us is always watching the, the door into the main shul from the outside. We also, um, once everybody is there, we actually um, tend to lock, keep all of the exterior doors locked. Really? Um, except for one. We keep a one the entrance unlocked during davening. Every other entrance is locked. And um, frequently, once we know that everybody who is coming is there, somebody will go and lock that last door, too. I guess it's a, a sufficiently small congregation that you could actually make an educated guess. Yeah, we can, guess. we can get away with that. Right. Yeah, most shuls, obviously, that's that's not going to fly. I And, and uh, you know, just keeping all the doors shut and locked, I mean, that... that you know, here his uh, short first line sort of defensive thing. You know, if somebody has to stop the bash door, and you're going to hear it, and you can, right? And react, right? Absolutely, uh, Daniel. What about your show? Is there is there existing uh, unarmed security? Is there any sort of plan or any sort of patrol? Well, just from what we discussed with the guys that do carry um, all the time right. during Shabbos, somebody is always washing the doors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more than one person that watches the doors. Right. Uh, the people that carry, they're situated in a way that if they are uh, to engage somebody at the doors, they would um, there would be nobody behind them and nobody behind the active shooter. Right. Or whoever it is, the intruder that would be coming through. Um, so it, there is some things in place. I definitely am working on it. We're actually meeting uh, tomorrow uh, at the range, and we're discussing um, all this uh scenarios and all that type of stuff, I'm trying to make it a little more official and uh, push it a little more and uh, make sure everybody's training and everybody's training is up to the level. Right. Um, Jacob, what would you consider uh, some basics uh, in your experience that, uh, you know, as somebody who's leading a congregation uh, informally at the moment, what are, if somebody, you know, knew were to be introduced into the mix to say, hey, I got a CCW, what what baseline would you expect them to, uh, to adhere to? I mean, in order to get a CCW in New York, you have to have done the NRA basic pistol course or an equivalent course. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you so anybody who has one is going to have passed the basic safety class. You, you have no choice right. in New York. But that's the, aside from that, uh, 
practice again it's like uh, like daniel said practice every is essential i mean when you pick up or you put on uh carry any weapon not just a gun um you really need to know how to use it right because if you if you're if you're not confident in its use you could do more harm than good with it right absolutely and, and so you know knowing that somebody is is practicing regularly um you know, you have to practice regularly, and if you're not going to practice regularly, and you, and you can't demonstrate that you have this pro- the proficiency from practice, then you, you should be thinking twice before you're carrying in public. Right. And, well, actually, Daniel, you said that uh, a number of people of your acquaintance don't feel they have that proficiency, and so they don't. Right, that is exactly it. Um, we have uh, people with care permits that went through the trouble of obtaining the care permit. But for some reason, they do not feel um, proficient um, to carry a gun in public. And uh, I'm actually working on it. To I don't see how uh, that makes any sense. If you went uh, through all the trouble in getting the permit, maybe it's a good idea to practice and uh, get your you know get your level of training up uh, to where you are comfortable with the gun. So um, some people get it apparently just in case, you know, just right. so, so they can have it, you know, in their house. Right, but uh, in, to, in order to have it in the, in the house in Pennsylvania, you don't really need uh, a carry permit. So um, what usually happens is people uh, go ahead and buy a gun, then they um, say, hey, let's uh, get a carry permit. So they, they bought a gun originally for home defense, mm-hmm. uh, then they have a carry permit, but they're not carrying the gun. So um, in Pennsylvania, there is no laws uh, that would prevent you uh, from getting a carry permit if you did not go through any kind of a course. So the, the, there is no course that's needed. You're basically uh, passing a background check. Um, it's a very extensive background check, but that's about it. Right. So so it's people are sort of on their honor then to get trained up properly. That's precisely it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into it if I think that it's right or wrong, but, um, you know, it, at the end of it all, it's your right to, to have a gun. But um, if, you're, if you want to carry it, it's definitely a very good idea that you should uh, practice with it and uh, be proficient enough that you are confident that you can use it, uh, you know, in the right way. Right. Absolutely. This is the Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, it is Thursday, the 15th of January, 2015. My name is Mayor Furtick. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Um, why don't we take a quick break? Let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of music, and then we'll uh, regroup and uh, and continue our conversation with, uh, with Daniel and with Jacob Newman. Uh, let's... Uh, Let's enjoy this, and we'll be right back. Yes, <laughs> 
on the uh, Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Mayor Furtick. Thank you for tuning in this Thursday, the 15th of January. The Stunt Show is heard every Thursday at 1 p.m. on NachumSiegel.com and on the uh, NSN app. And uh, glad you could be here with us. We're discussing the subject of Jews and guns. Our guests are Jacob Newman, who is a uh, professor of chemistry and physics, as well as uh, acting as, functioning as, uh, the uh, the rabbi of 
um, a small Orthodox shul in Liberty, New York. Jacob is not actually uh, a musmach, not actually a rabbi at this point, although you said you're studying towards it. Uh, our other guest is Daniel. Uh, we're not using his last name. He's a professional based in the Philadelphia area uh, who uh, also uh, on the side actually teaches firearm safety courses and uh, is one of a number of people in his uh, fairly good-sized shul who has a concealed carry permit, as does uh, Jacob Newman. Um, gentlemen, are you, uh, do you both have children? Yes. Uh, small children. Um, let's, let's turn away from the subject of uh, shuls and Shabbos and, 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 and that stuff for a moment. Let's talk about some basics. I think we have a lot of people listening to the show for whom uh, the subject of uh, the, the idea of having firearms in the house uh, around children is uh, is just as much of a turnoff and as much of a, uh, a no-brainer that they wouldn't do it as as, as there could be. Um, Daniel, you first. Uh, how old are your kids, if you don't mind? And uh, what have you done to uh, to train them uh, to keep them safe? Well, uh, my kids are both boys, and they're uh, two and four. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, have been training them. Uh, Pretty much since they um, understood anything, I've been training them to understand what guns are. And uh, just like uh, any other tool that, um, you know, can uh, be harmful to your kids, uh, I'm training them that those are not to be touched uh, without an adult uh, present. And if you are to encounter one, um, you should uh, leave it alone, do not touch, and uh, tell an adult. So I think uh, the cynics in our audience would say, yeah, that sounds great, but, you know, we hear about tragedies all the time. Does that really work? Uh, it really 100% does work. Um, and uh, my younger one, my two-year-old, uh, will uh, point uh, whenever whenever I come home, take off my coat or whatever. Right. He would uh, point at the, at the gun in my holster on my hip, and he would say, uh, boo-boo, boo-boo, you know, because she knows it's not something that, you know, is dangerous. Right. Uh, if, if you do not know how to use it. So um, the same thing he would say if he um, sees a, a drill in my garage, he, he does the same exact thing. He knows those things are, are they can hurt him. So he, he, he knows what they are. My older one has a much broader understanding of what guns are. He, he actually knows how they work and, uh, you know, how they function. Right. And uh, he, he can actually tell you the difference between, uh, let's say, a revolver and a semi-automatic. Um, but uh, one of the things that we... Um, always do is we, we always train him um, safety rules. Uh, well, number one thing is all the guns that are not on me, um, they're not being used, they are unloaded. So that's, that's for safety rules. Unloaded. Two, all, unloaded. Yeah, unloaded. Absolutely. All mm-hmm. the guns are unloaded unless unless I'm uh, using it, which would be I'm carrying it on my hip. Um, all the other guns in the house are unloaded. Um, now, all the other guns are locked up that the kids cannot uh, physically get to them. Um, another thing is, if my older ever asks me uh, to hold the gun, uh, I verify that it's unloaded, I point it in the same direction, I'm holding it in my hands, and I let him touch it. That mm-hmm. makes it not forbidden. He can't, he can't uh, see it as like, oh, this is something that I will never, you know, that I can never touch. Let's, uh, my, my, you know, daddy is not there, let's touch it. Right. So right. Uh, he, he's allowed to touch it whenever he wants. And the first time I told him that, it was it was a week that the kids probably touched uh, guns maybe twenty times a day. Right. Uh, I said whenever you want me to, whenever you want to touch the gun, make sure that I'm there and you can go ahead and, uh, and do whatever it is uh, you want to do. So uh, first week was probably you know twenty times a day. Second week was uh, once a day maybe. But now he doesn't care enough. He does, he doesn't interest him um, to touch the gun. It's not forbidden. Um, uh, yeah. 
so uh, it's not forbidden. So there is no interest to to go ahead and grab one. Now, um, it's the same thing with knives. Same thing with any other you know tool that can be that can harm the child. Um, so you know he knows not to jump in front of the TV because uh, let's say you know in somebody else's house they might not be drilled into the wall. Right. So the, the kids get uh, you know. So um, now uh, recently we tried uh, testing this, and on most of Shabbos. Um, one week, I uh, basically disassembled the gun and made sure that it's uh, impossible to be, for that gun to be fired. Mm-hmm. And uh, I basically removed uh, all the parts. Uh, there's a part inside the gun that uh, that was even that you would be even be able to load that gun. Right. That device is called the yellow barrel. It makes a training tool out of the gun. So you so, you really uh, went I, very far to test this premise. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually my wife wanted to see it because we saw something. I believe it was something on the internet where the police officer was uh, training his kids that uh, you know about guns, and uh, when he put a hidden camera in there, he uh, the kids still touched the gun. Huh. So um, I don't think it was as extensive as me, but there was uh, something was happening of a certain. My wife wanted to test this theory, right. so um, on most of Shabbos I asked my child to clean the room, and uh, somewhere between the blankie and the teddy bear was uh, was a yellow barrel, the Smith and Wesson, right. um, where he. Whenever he picked up that uh, teddy bear of that gun, uh, we were watching and uh, we were like making sure that he can't see us, but we were watching. Right. And, uh, and what he happened? Jumped, uh, he jumped really high. He ran right out of the room, screaming, uh, "Mama, Mama, Papa! There is a gun in my room! There is a gun in my room!" And uh, he did. He did not touch it. He did not do anything. We kind of debriefed him afterwards, and he says, "There's no, you know, there's no. Uh, I would never, ever, ever touch uh, a gun that uh, was without an adult." Wow. So it does work. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we're going we're gonna to do it later on with the younger one, but it definitely does work. All that uh, drilling definitely does work. Wow. Jacob, what's been your experience? How do you handle this I issue? I do almost exactly the same thing. Uh, there's a, uh, the NRA produces, it has a, a program called Eddie Eagle, which is uh, aimed at children mm-hmm. for gun safety. It's the same thing. It's uh, stop, don't touch. Leave the area, get an adult. Uh, I call it a mantra, right. and so we do it. I, my children are five and two, mm-hmm. and so since you know, again, since they've been old enough to understand, it's the same thing. Whenever they see see me with it, it's remember what are you supposed to do. My five year old can recite it, and he knows. And it's and again, but don't make a secret out of it. Don't make it anything. Anything um, big deal. It's the same again, like any other. Uh, dangerous tool, you know, household chemicals or saw or knives or the hot oven when it's turned on. Right. It's the same thing. It's like you, you know, you can get very badly hurt with this. Um, and again, uh, so you don't make a secret out of it and don't anything, you know, make a big deal out of it. My older son is not, my young ones too, he doesn't really, you know, he's still little. Um, but again, he's not. It's not like uh, I haven't gone as far to test it as, as Daniel has. Right. But you know, his comment to me recently was, "Is like, uh, when I'm a big boy, can you teach me how to shoot an actual gun?" Right. Right. Now, uh, what age would you would you consider uh, Jacob? You first. But at what age would you consider your children old enough, to perhaps, to go to a shooting range with you? I'd have to. I mean, it, it depends on the kid. Ah, I mean, mm-hmm. my my. Uh, uh, you know, you have to be responsible enough to be able to to absolutely, without question, follow all the safety procedures. 
um, you know, without hesitation. Right. right? It's, it's, it's essential. So, I mean, I I would hope that um, I've taken my my twelve year old nephew mm-hmm. and taught him how to how to shoot, and uh, I think that uh, I mean it's possible for children who are younger than that to be responsible enough to be able to follow the rules. But again, you have to decide by the kid. If you know your kid is not going to be able to, this fidgety is not going to be able to follow the rules 100%. Right. I mean, then you have to, it's not time. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. Uh, Daniel, what do you what do you say about that? Yeah, uh, we're definitely sharing this opinion. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if the kid uh, feels that, uh, you know, if I feel that the child is old enough, uh, to do it absolutely, and also um, you need to start uh, with something that cannot potentially, even if there is a mistake made, you would not uh, to lessen the potential of somebody getting hurt. Uh, bolt action rifle, something low with a long barrel, uh, nice and slow, you know, stationary target. Uh, my child came with me um, to the shooting range uh, multiple times. Um, he would he always wear safety, you know, goggles and eyeglasses. Uh, Sure. Uh, I in air protection, and he uh, went to a couple of competitions that I went to, uh, cheering for me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and uh, he was uh, always, you know, 100% safe with it. I always had, uh, usually my wife uh, would watch, watch him to make sure that he doesn't uh, wander, doesn't go anywhere. Right. And he is, uh, look, it looks very good for now. He uh, absolutely wants to learn uh, to shoot a gun, but he he does recognize himself that he is not uh, old enough for it. So um, we'll we'll take it we'll take it as it goes. We'll see where where he is um, he mature enough to uh, take on responsibility uh, like that. It is a responsibility to even handle a firearm, load a firearm. Right, absolutely. Uh, we have uh, you know relatively few minutes left in the show. Uh, this is the stunt show on the Nachum Siegel Network for Thursday, the fifteenth of January, two thousand fifteen. My name is Mayor Fertig, and uh, let's turn the conversation to uh, somewhat more general items. Let's uh, speak to uh, members of the audience who are are truly uh, not familiar with firearms at all. Um, could you? Uh, uh, Daniel, you first. Uh, let's talk about uh, what are the different types, broad categories of firearms. And uh, we've really been talking primarily about pistols. You just mentioned uh, a rifle. Um, what are the different categories of firearms, and why might somebody uh, choose to own more than one type of firearm? Okay, sure. Um, for starters, there is uh, you can divide everything into uh, short guns and long guns, let's say. Mm-hmm. So the the short guns would be divided into uh, pistols, uh, semi-automatics, or revolvers. Um, now for rifles, um, that long guns would be most commonly would be ri- uh, rifles or shotguns. Mm-hmm. Um, rifles. Um, that's the, well, that's where the word comes comes from. There is a rifling. Um, there is a welding grooves in the barrel. There basically uh, there is a twist in the barrel that twists the bullet as it comes out of the barrel. Ah. Um, shotguns are smoothbore. They do not have uh, mostly smoothbore. They do not have uh, rifling, and they and they usually shoot um, like they they can shoot more than one projectile every time you pull the trigger. Right. Now the rifles go into semi-automatic and um, bolt action. There are other types, but that's the two most common. Right. Uh, semi-automatics uh, being uh, every time you pull the trigger, uh, one shot goes off. Uh, bolt action is you have to work the bolt 
mm-hmm. and the action does not load the next cartridge by itself until you do and uh, work that bolt. So, um, now, yeah. So when 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 people uh, hear about something on the news and you hear somebody say uh, somebody came in with a machine gun, what are they talking about? Well, most of the time it's incorrect. They're actually talking about a fully automatic firearm, which are um, already very hard to own and nearly impossible to own, and and are impossible to own in most of the I mean, in some states. Um, the other states let you have it. They just cost a lot of money, and it requires uh, all kinds of permits and a lot of extensive paperwork. It's nothing at all like buying a regular firearm. Now, when they say a machine gun, they they say that it's something that looks like a machine gun. So the machine gun, uh, assault rifle, or you know, as people commonly refer to it, uh, if you pull the trigger, it fires until the magazine runs out. Mm-hmm. So basically, one pull of the trigger, um, multiple multiple cartridges go off. Um, the gun uh, the gun keeps on firing until you release the trigger. Now um, that's a machine gun. Magazine. That's that's the thing that's not available in the U.S. That is precisely it. That's a machine gun, or it, it, it is uh, what is normally referred to as an assault rifle. Mm-hmm. Now, what a lot of people refer to as an assault rifle is a semi-automatic firearm that has, uh, every time you pull the trigger, it uh, only fires one round, Right. but it has a magazine and it loops like an assault rifle. So a lot of people refer to it as an assault rifle, and the media uh, likes to hype it up, and every time they see something that looks like an assault rifle, they, they call it an assault rifle. And a, which, an assault uh, rifle is, would actually be a military weapon. Absolutely. It's, it's something that you cannot have until you uh, go through an extremely extensive process and uh, fill out a lot of paperwork and pay thousands, of, tens of thousands of dollars, close, um, close to hundreds of thousands at this point. Really? So it's it, it but that is the sort of thing I, we can we presume do we know uh, that was used uh, in France and that's the sort of thing that you'll hear about terrorists using in Afghanistan and you know ISIS I mean they're they're using military level automatic weapons right well most of the time yes but from what I've seen in uh, in France it was it was a semi automatic rifle though I'm not sure if it was or was not I don't know how it was obtained but that rifle comes in semi automatic or automatic uh, version. Mm-hmm. So that that's a VZ. It looks like an AK. It's not really an AK. It's a VZ. It's Czech Republic gun. Um, that it was it was a short barreled uh, version of it that looked like it could have been uh, fully automatic. But I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you one way or the other. I didn't research it enough. Right. Um, so I guess maybe we're getting into maybe too deep a detail for uh, for the casual listener. But uh, so let's just turn. I mean, turn to Jacob. Uh, Jacob, do you do you mind uh, explaining? Uh, you don't have to get into numbers, but uh, do you own more than a pistol? Do you own different types of guns, and and why? I do. I own own um, a handgun. I own own a uh, rifle, and I own a shotgun uh, because they have different uh, purposes. The the handgun is small and portable. This is a uh, primarily, in my opinion, is as a defensive weapon that you would use for self defense purposes around uh, when you outside or inside the house. Right. Um, not that anything can't be used for self defense purposes, but the, the handgun is is convenient and portable. Um, the rifle I own is actually a competition target rifle. Mm-hmm. I do competitive target shooting with it mm-hmm. and so this is the only thing i use that for is for practicing and competing and in precision shooting contests right. and you want a shotgun um, as well a shotgun i own yeah the shotgun i own because i live in a rural area and uh, 
there are a lot of um, bears uh-huh. um, and other large wildlife around here. Right. And so, I mean, a, a pistol or even my target rifle is not adequate. It should we have a problem with, with angry wildlife. Angry wildlife being the operative term. Yeah, I would never, ever, ever personally go after wildlife that is no risk to me. But, uh, but I mean, we've heard bears do occasionally attack people, and they are in the area. So um, I'm surrounded by trees from my house. And I, I've seen, see that we see the bears and the deers in the backyard all the time. Right. So, so should one of them have a temper tantrum, you are adequately protected. Yeah, I, I, if something, if they, if you know, most of the time, I should emphasize, you know, that even that bears, uh, the largest and most dangerous animals that you'd have in the New York metro area, uh, 99.9% of the time, bears are not aggressive and they're not really a threat. You don't want to get too close to them. Right. Uh, makes them mad. But 99% of the time, it's not a problem. But you don't want to be, especially, you know, in an area where it's their natural home. Mm-hmm. If if you run into the, the one in a thousand bear that's in a bad mood or yeah. sick or injured, and it decides that you are a threat or my children are a threat, right. you know, we need to be prepared to deal with that. As I, you know, for my house, if you call the police or animal control, it's going to take them 20 minutes to get here. Right. Well, you know what they say, when seconds count, the police are minutes away. Right. Right. Uh, Daniel, what uh, what categories of firearms do you own and why? Well, uh, I have an extensive collection. Uh, certain things I own uh, to compete with uh, shooting competitions. Um, in, for my home defense, there is a rifle, shotgun, and a pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife does not like shooting people at all, so um, if something would go down the plan at the house, she would grab one of the long guns, and I would go ahead and grab the kids uh, from their bedrooms with the short gun. Mm-hmm. With the so um, I have uh, multiple things. I have um, like suppressors and all that uh, interesting stuff, sound suppressors, sound moderators, and all that interesting stuff as well. You're, you're uh, really a hobbyist at this also. Yeah, absolutely, and I have a, I have a, I basically like collecting some of the, you know, old uh, World War II rifles and uh, this type of stuff. So I have a, I have a collection of uh, firearms as well. Right. So you mentioned that you you actually took the next question right out of my mouth, uh, Daniel. You mentioned that your wife doesn't uh, doesn't like shooting pistols, but she is, uh, she does, uh, she's proficient with 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 rifles and she's comfortable with them. She trains. Yeah, she absolutely trains, and uh, she has no interest whatsoever um, in, uh, you know, shooting competitions or anything of the sort. Mm-hmm. She does not like it at all. She does not uh, like shooting uh, at all. Right. But she just understands the necessity that uh, if something, would God forbid, happened, uh, you have to protect your life. And um, the way you protect your life in the modern, uh, in the modern society, in the modern world, would most of the time uh, be a gun. So right. she has uh, um, basic training with uh, pistols, rifles, shotguns, and um, she can do, if, in a bit, she would, she would be able to do what she needs to do. Right. Uh, now, um, she also has, uh, it's, it's basically an overall uh, lifestyle. Um, I have uh, a fire extinguisher on each floor in my house. It's for the same exact reason. God forbid something happens, you have tools to protect your life. Right. Right. Um, Jacob, what about uh, what about you? Uh, you Does your... Uh, is your wife comfortable? If you don't mind talking about it, is your wife comfortable with firearms? Does she have preference? Hundred percent. My wife is, is comfortable with them. My wife has actually had in 
when she was a teenage, you know, finished high school, mm-hmm. um, she actually was um, uh, had uh, thought about joining the IDF. Oh, really? Yeah, and so she didn't end up doing that in American, but um, um, she did um, join uh, the Israel Scouts, and they provide basic firearm training. Um, she's out of practice. But she's fully aware of how to how to use a firearm, and she's uh, very comfortable with them being around and in the house. And um, if, again, like uh, Daniel's wife, it's just not something she would like to. She doesn't want to do this as uh, you know. She's not interested in competition or anything like that. Um, but again, the same thing. If, if necessity strikes, she knows what to do. Right. Right. Uh, have either of you ever uh, ever had somebody uh, say they don't they, they don't want to come to your house? Maybe they don't want their kids in your house or anything like that. You both have very little kids, but I guess uh, Jacob, you said you have uh, a five year old, so he may have play dates already, right? Right, of course. So, have you ever had anybody uh, express uh, discomfort uh, at knowing there were firearms in the house? No. Oddly enough, one of his uh, close his good friends from school um, is. Uh, uh, Father said to, uh, to me that when he found out that I want, he wants to come to my house more because he wants to to to, to go to because he lives in New York City. He wants to come right. to my house to to be able to 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 go out to, to the shooting range with me. Ah, I see. And how do the parents feel about that? Are they okay with that? No, that was his father. My right. my uh, my son's best friend from school. Her father. Right. You know, they want to come. <laughs> right, I understand. And, Daniel, what about you? Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had anybody express this comfort of coming to your house or bringing their kids in? Well, uh, no, I've never I've never had anything of the sort. But uh, what, I, what did happen um, recently, mm-hmm. uh, somewhat recently, somebody invited us over for Shabbos, and the husband uh, and wife were walking, we were walking all together um, on Shabbos uh, day. Right. And... Um, um, husband uh, started talking to me about guns because he knows I know a little bit about it, and he um, started talking to me what you know this this type that type and all this um, questions. Right. And uh, his wife, uh, he was asking me about a care permit uh, as well. So the wife said, uh, "Are you do you carry guns?" <laughs> I said, uh, "Well, uh, yes." Uh, she says. Uh, are you are you carrying one right now? And we're walking to their house, Shabbos. Oh boy! Uh, so I said, uh, you know, how many times have you seen me in areas? She said, you know, hundreds, thousands of times. So every time you've seen me, I was carrying a gun. So uh, that kind of put the question, uh, you know, in a different, in a little bit of a different perspective. Right. And uh, I I I spoke with her a little bit on uh, on the subject. Uh, she, it was just uh, striking that all the, she she didn't realize ever. That there is a gun, um, you know. That whenever, whenever I'm standing on uh, my two legs, there is a gun on my head. Right. Fascinating. We are out of time. I wish we had another hour, but we are done. I, I'd like to thank you both. Daniel from the Philadelphia area, thank you. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you concerning uh, concerning firearms training, uh, they can uh, email you at koshershooting101 at gmail.com, koshershooting101 at gmail.com. Daniel, thank you. And uh, Jacob Newman, uh, thank you very much. I certainly appreciate your time as well. Both of you, this was
was wonderful and I hope informative to our listeners. And uh, both of you, uh, good luck. If you'd like to read, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to read the uh, academic uh, essay that uh, Jacob wrote about the subject of carrying a gun on Shabbos, go to OUTorah.org and search for Carrying Gun on Shabbos, Carrying Gun on Shabbos at OUTorah.org, and you can read it there. Uh, my thanks again to Jacob and Daniel. My thanks to Alex Cook, our engineer. My name is Mayor Furtick. Tune in next week at 1 o'clock on Thursday for this next edition of The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. All the best, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you.